Well, good morning, Dorisville. It is so good to be with you today on behalf of the team. Let me say thank you for allowing us to go. Our mission report will be next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. And uh, we hope you'll come and hear about what happened in Uganda. I will share just a couple things with you. This time last week, which really at 7 o'clock there now in the evening, but for morning worship last week, um, we had the privilege of worshiping about 250 Africans. And uh, that's a pretty life-changing experience. The worship, guys, was led by the children um, of the secondary school. And it's just an incredible thing. When you hear the Watoto voices, that's exactly how they speak English. And it's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, literally hundreds of people received medical care and eye treatment. And it was just an incredible opportunity to go from village to village to village to village. But here's what I think that you'll find just off the scale wonderful. And I'm going to use a low number, I believe. And, uh, but 125 people came to know Jesus. Hundred. 125 people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and that's probably a little bit low. I think it's more like 150, and uh, that's just an incredible thought. And here's what's really cool. Um, the Arise Africa organization has about 240 churches that it has started throughout the regions of Uganda. And uh, the one, I think it was the second or third day we did a clinic, a lot of people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, but there was no church. It's going to be a hard day. So today, they were starting a church in that village. Today, in that village, those new converts want to come together and, uh, and worship the Lord. So, so we thank God for that. We really do. It, it was just incredible. It really was this incredible day. So thank you for letting us go um, from Tim and, and, and Benna and Judy and I and Nan and the, uh, what, the other 10 or 11 that went. It was just an incredible, incredible week. The hardest trip I've ever been on. In my life, we are just physically and emotionally spent. But I'm telling you guys, you've got to come next week. Hear from their voices of what happened. It will bless your heart. And for Mama T and, and for Journey and for Air, Airborne, thank you so much for what this was today. For Rachel coming and speaking about home missions, just incredible. Now, now let me kind of begin this, the message today. This was a series that started back the first week in February. And uh, we took a, w- a week off for um, Brother Trent to bless us with a message on New Sunday. And then we picked back up and continued. And we were supposed to have been done before we went to Africa. But then God saw fit to send us a little bit of ice and snow. And so we were a week behind. And so this message was supposed to be the last week before we were here, before we left for Africa. And I want to speak about the idea of praying that will change the world. And then seeing how God worked it out already in the service today. Well, he knows exactly what he's doing because, because he's God. We, we started out with, with a series entitled um, Lights, Camera, Acts. And the idea was that the message series, and since it's been kind of spread out, the whole idea was to go back and to look at how the early church did church. And, and we looked at several different things and then to culminate with this message today about how a church should pray. You know, um, have you ever thought about how we pray in America? The truth is known. If the truth were known, if, if we were to fast forward one year from today... Most of our prayer lives, our life would be a little better. Our family's life would be a little bit better. And perhaps two or three sick people's lives might be better. But our, our limited vision of prayer is that is such that it impacts our world and our world only. And I want to show you how the early church 
pray. How, how they pray beyond their world. And by the way, beyond their comfort zone. And pray boldly that God would do incredible things around them. Now, I feel necessary to kind of go back over the last four or five weeks. And uh, it's going to be a short message. I feel sure of that. In fact, I told you, if I start talking weird, that means my brain slipped into another gear. Get me off the stage in a hurry. Um, but I kind of want to go back over Acts chapter 3 and 4 and tell you again what happened culminating in this prayer meeting that the church has. So here we go. So we start over here. And we have um, Peter and John going to church. They were going to the temple. And kind of interestingly enough, they were going to the church to do evangelism. And so they get outside the church, and there's this guy who had been laying. He was 40 years old. He's been laying all his life. He'd never walked. And so he's kind of expecting Peter and John to give him something. And so he looks at them. And Peter, this is when Peter goes. He goes, you know, I don't have anything. I don't have silver or gold. But what I have, I give you. And here's what he says. In the name and the power and the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Let that soak in. In the name and the authority of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And Peter reaches down with his right hand and picks up this man. And as he picks him up, his ankles and his feet and his legs are like, the word in the Greek means knitted together. They, they regain strength. And for the first time in his life, this man could walk. But we also know from the scriptures, not me just saying, fantasizing and saying it'd be great if he got saved. We know from the scriptures that because he believed in the name of Jesus Christ, he not only was healed physically, he was healed spiritually. And that's what we told, by the way, that's what we told the people in Uganda. We bring good news. And that is, that good news is that we brought doctors and we brought medicine from America. But the best news is, is that we have brought a healer of the souls. We have brought someone, the name of someone who can heal your broken soul. And we explained to them that was Jesus Christ. So that day, that man received a healed body, but he also received a healed soul. And of course, he went ballistic. I mean, he's bouncing off the walls. He'd never walked before. And he's running around just saying, oh my goodness, praise God, praise God for this. And this attracts a large crowd. So Peter takes the opportunity to start preaching. And he preaches and, and again... You know, he, he was very straightforward. He said, do you understand that just a few weeks ago, not, not years ago, a few weeks ago, you people were standing around going, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate's going, why should we crucify him? He's done nothing wrong. And you cried out, crucify him. And so that convicted their hearts. And so, so Peter said, you need to repent. And we told the Ugandans that. You need to turn from your sin. That times of refreshing, that, that the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit will blow in their lives. And so, so the, he went on to share some more and preached and preached. And guess who showed up? The cops. The cops showed up along the temple um, the leaders and they arrest Peter and John and throw them in a jail. And so after that, after they spent all night in jail, they bring out and say, now we want to know something. By what name and what authority have you done this? And Peter goes, look, if you think we've done something, that's just not it. If you're, if you're wanting to know why a good thing happened to this, this crippled man, it is in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ that he is healed. And he goes on in Acts chapter 4, and verse number 12, and he says, There is no other name given under heaven whereby people must be saved. And that just like blew their minds. I mean, the temple people that just blew their minds, and the cops that blew their mind. And then they said, they put Peter and, Peter and John out, and they said, what are we going to do to these people? You know, that a miracle has happened is undeniable. What are we going to do with these people? And they said, ah, here's what we'll do. We'll threaten them. We'll threaten them. So they brought them back in and said, you can't do this anymore. You can't preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter goes, look, dude, you, de-, and that's the Dwayne Taylor translation. Look, dude, you determine whether we ought to obey God or obey you. All we know is this. We can not help but speak what we have seen and heard. And that is that Jesus Christ was dead and that he is alive today. We can't shut up. We can't stop. 
It's just amazing news that what has happened. And so, so they threatened him some more and threatened him some more. And they finally let them go. And that's when the prayer meeting happens. That's when we learn how the early church prayed with prayers that would change the world. So I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4, verse number 23. And we're going to look at prayer that changes the world. I'll be using the New King James Version. You use which one that, that Lord leads you to today. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. Now what I want to do is, this is not a lot of scripture today. But I want to take it apart carefully and, and keeping in mind that what the scripture intended, we don't want to add to the word of God, but keep it intended. But I want you to see some powerful points that the church used. And I want to encourage us to go back. Now, how many of y'all would say that America has drifted away from God today? Would anybody agree with me on that? Sure. We all, we all know that's true. And how many times have we said we need to go back? We need to go back to what we used to know. We need to go back to what we used to work. Well, I think it's true of the church, too. I think the church then needs to look at what the early church did and go back to what we used to do. So here's what the Bible says. In verse number 23, And being let go, they went to their own companions. They went back to the group of believers. And this is more than just the, the 10 or 11, this, uh, the remaining 10. This is a group of people. They went back to their own companions and reported all, now listen, reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now there are two facts. This is kind of like the report went. The report went like this. Guys, you need to know something. That things are going to get hard. Um, you need to understand that, that they threatened us. They told us that we cannot teach anymore in the name of Jesus Christ. That, that's just a fact. But we also attained great victory. Because God has emboldened us and empowered. And we spoke the truth to them. We told them that there's no other name given unto heaven. Whereby a person must be saved. We told them that. that we told the people. And by the way, 2,000 additional people were saved. We told them the truth. That they need to turn from their sins. And they need to follow God. So fact number one is. It was a great victory for God that day. They could not punish us. Because of the man standing there. And because of the power of God. But the second fact is this, it's going to get harder. It's going to get tougher. And my brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today that as we progress toward the end times, you need to understand something, that harder times are coming. And as we choose to follow Christ, then we will face persecution here in America. So there's two facts. There's great victory. We thank God for the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the truth is, difficulty and hard times are coming. So they were faced then with two, uh, two ways to go. The first one is this. They could go on the defensive. I'm sure Frank was back in the back room. And, and yet, yeah, not, not our Frank, another Frank. Frank raised his hand and said, okay, listen, we, we've heard what you said. And we are so grateful to God that, that you have been spared injury and death. But let's just be honest. Peter, John, we, we can't afford to lose you. I mean, we may, maybe there's another strategy we can do here. What about, first off, what if you two never travel together anymore? Uh, if we're going to lose, at least we'll lose one and not two. So, Peter, John, why don't you all break the team up and, and let's go on defensive here. And that way it'll be a moving target and they can't get both hit one time. Uh, perhaps we ought to, perhaps we ought to cool the rhetoric about Jesus. Okay, they're, they're, let things cool off a little while. And, you know, let's just back off of the fact that Jesus was dead and that he resurrected because that's apparently making the leaders really upset. Let's just back up from that. And maybe later on when things cool off, then we can get a little bit bolder in our faith. But right now, let's go on the defenses. Let's cut our losses and let's just be careful. Let's be careful. And when times get a little easier or better, then we can be a little more bold in our faith. 
Too often we do that. Too often we have been forced by the world to, to, and threatened by the world to back up, to back up, to back up. Listen, God has not called the church to be on defense. God has called the church to be on offense. Now, I want to tell you something. We're going to hear about it in just a moment. But we have the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, and we are to be bold in our faith. I told the Ugandans, and I told the Americans that were with us last week, what I told you two weeks ago, and that is this. We have yielded too, long, or too much and too long to the threatening power of the world. Listen, we have the power of Jesus Christ, and we can be bold in our faith because of His authority and because of His power. So Frank may have said, so let's just go, let's just go on the defense. And the other option was go on the offense. Go on the offense. And that is exactly what these people did. I don't know if there really was a Frank or not. But I do know this that the early church, when it came to persecution, and the early church, when it came to threatening power from the world, held a prayer meeting. A prayer meeting like you've never heard before. Here's what the word of God says. So when they heard that, when they heard that the council had threatened, that God had been faithful, but when they heard that the council had threatened them and said, you must not preach in the name of Jesus Christ. Can I say it one more time again? Truly, the world doesn't have a big problem with God. That's, that's generic enough that out there. You know, have a, they have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. They have a problem with the Word of God that speaks truth and does not bend and does not turn gray. It is black and it is white. They have a problem with that. So, so when the church, this group, heard this, that they raised their voice to God. And wouldn't you expect that? Zach, would you expect that they would have a prayer meeting? That is not surprising. But what is surprising is their prayer. So they raised their voice to God, and in one accord, time out, we need to be in one accord. See, the reason so often the church is not in one accord, particularly in the matter of prayer, is because we're trying to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. We're trying to decide today. There are people in this room who are trying to decide, well, is abortion right or is it wrong? Is homosexuality right or is it wrong? Is sexual sin right or wrong? Right and wrong. Listen, we don't have to wonder. God has given us His incredible Word. Amen? He's given us this Bible. And the Bible makes it clear this is God's roadmap for the believer to live by. Not what society says. Not what the government says. Not what a preacher says. We are free to interpret and read the Word of God for ourselves. And the Bible gives us direction for our lives. So, so we should be one in court in how we pray. And here's what they pray. Lord, You are God. Amen. Lord, You are God. Now, now, the word Lord is, and I think ESV does it in a couple of translations, translates it very accurately. It's sovereign God. Sovereign God. Uh, we get our word a despot from this. And it, 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 the negative connotation in English is a tyrant who has total and complete rule. But over and over again in the Old Testament and three times in the New Testament, this word refers to God. And it is not a negative term. But I will tell you this. God is sovereign. He is not going to share his throne with anyone. There is not multiple gods. There is one God and his Lord God, creator God, and he is sovereign. He is in control of all matters. Would you say amen to that? So he is in total control. We need to come to grips with the fact in the church today that he is God and we are not. He's God. 
Lord, sovereign God, you are in control. God, you are calling the shots, not us. Not the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, not the pastors, not the deacons, not the trustees, not the people. You know, church is not a democracy. Last time I checked, it belonged to God. It belongs to no pastor. It belongs to no deacon. It belongs to no trustee. It belongs to no family. It belongs to no particular member. This church is God's church. God's church. So, Lord, you are God. And you made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Pause. Hey, Lord, you are sovereign. You are in control. You you are the one calling the shots. And not only are you in control and calling the shots, God, you are all-powerful. The reason they refer back to the God of creation, because if you really want to see the power of God, look in creation. You know, God spoke and flung the stars into space. God spoke and universes were created. God spoke and the earth was formed. God spoke and the seas and the land was formed. God spoke and man and animals became. We serve an all-powerful God. Now, the early church believed that. We need to believe it too. We need to go back to Sunday school when our Sunday school teachers taught us that God really was God, that God was all powerful, and we need to believe it again. We we have to start feeling threatened enough to where we well, I better not, well, I better not. God is sovereign and God is all powerful. The early church believed this. And then he goes on and says this that you made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of the servant David has said, they even now they go back referring to the word of God. They seek a prophecy about what has happened. Now, keep in mind, what's happened, oh, five, six weeks earlier? One Friday, they saw the man that they believed the Messiah, the man that they sold their fishing nets and their boats, a man who could heal people, a man who could raise the dead. They saw him nailed to a Roman cross and die. All their hopes and dreams on Friday went into a grave. I said it before I left for Africa. They didn't expect Jesus to rise again. How do you know that, Dwayne? They embalmed the body. They didn't embalm the body. No one was there counting the countdown minutes till, till Sunday came. They were all afraid. They were running. Except for some women who went to the grave. And on the third day, he resurrected. This was all so fresh and so new to them. And so they turned to the word of God and they started seeing the sovereignty of God. And here they go to Psalms chapter two and verse number two. And here's what it says. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rumors were get the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They said, God prophesied. That the Gentiles, God prophesied that the children of Israel, the temple rulers, God prophesied that Herod, God prophesied that Pilate would come up against the Christ. And they found confident assurance that it didn't catch God by surprise. They were wise enough to look to the word of God and find assurance that their God really was in control. I was sitting next to Tim Darty somewhere. In Africa. And we're talking. He says, Dwayne, you need to preach on the second coming. I said, Amen. Have and will do. Jesus Christ is coming back. 
The clock is winding down. It may be one year, it may be one minute, it may be another thousand years, but Jesus Christ is coming back and we are seeing signs of the times everywhere. We know that because the Word of God says so. They, they could look at this and they were wise enough to remember Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. A direct quote. And said, we just went through the most... We just went through the most difficult thing in our life. We watched our Messiah nailed to a cross. They didn't understand Isaiah 53. They watched him be put in a grave and embalmed. But then on the third day, they watched him come back to life. And they couldn't shut up about it. They just couldn't get over the fact that he was dead. And now he's alive. They connected the word of God. But they also connected this. That just like they killed Jesus, and Jesus was now the enemies of the temple rulers, so they were going to be those enemies. Brothers and sisters, you will suffer. You will suffer. There is coming a time in America, already in this world. I, I talked to a young 13-year-old Muslim girl. And she says, I want to receive Christ. But my father has told me that if I become a Christian, he will beat me. And we told that young lady, you may have to be submissive to your father. But you must submit to the one true father. And that day, she trusted Jesus Christ as her savior. She was bold enough in her faith to say, I choose to follow Jesus. Suffering will come into her life. And so suffering will come to our life. Peter said it this way. In this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. Though now you have not seen him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We will suffer for Christ. I know it's foreign to us. You know, I told a Ugandan guy. He's my interpreter. And I said, he said, I always wanted to come to America. We get that a lot. You know, I told him. I said, you stay in Uganda. America's not the place you think it is. America's not the place you think it is. And if we choose... To stand for God in the coming days, that persecution, students, that persecution will come. Guys on the job, ladies on the job, that persecution will come. They connected what happened with Jesus would also happen to them. And so he says these words. For truly, verse number 27, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles. See, there it is. They were putting Psalm 2 together. And the people of Israel were gathered together. Now, watch this. Watch this. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. If that's not a beautiful picture of the Psalm of God, I don't know what is. We look, at the, we look at the Passion Week and we see the death of Jesus. It was like God was on vacation in Florida. Things got out of control. But according to what the Word of God says right here, that God used the Gentiles. God used Herod. God used Pilate. God used the temple leaders to bring about His purpose. And I want to assure you today that it may not be the sunniest day in your life. 
But God will have His way and His purpose in your life. Trust Him. Trust Him. He is sovereign. He is God. I know. If we'd have been on there that day, if we'd been on that hill that Friday, we'd have thought chaos had broken loose in the world. How could, how could God allow this good man, Jesus, but he'd be nailed to a Roman cross? We heard in Sunday school, have you not asked that question? God, if you're so good and you're so wonderful, how can you allow? Keep this in mind. We only see the bottom side, not the upper side. God's perspective is much better than our perspective. And when difficult things come into our lives, we have to trust. And when we do a funeral every once in a while, it's an old illustration, but it sure works good. Have you ever seen these oriental rugs? And, and the weaver will take, and there'll be knots, and there'll be strings, and the pattern is not beautiful at all. And if you look at that rug from this side, all you see is the knots and the strings and the distorted patterns. And we go, what is that? And then the rug is lowered, and you look at the beautiful pattern that the master weaver is weaving. I want to tell you something. Just like I heard one of my, my dear friends has been diagnosed with cancer. Death comes to our families. We lose our jobs. Pain comes into our life. We say, God, where are you? He would say, where I've always been, on my throne. I'm in control. I know it's difficult. I love you. I will walk with you. Do not despair. So God used Pontius Pilate and Herod and the Gentiles to bring about his purpose in the life and crucifixion of Jesus. So how did they pray? Look at verse number 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Now, Father, just a reminder, you heard what they said. They said, Father, if we preach in this name, that they will harm us. They said if we continue to preach in this name, they will arrest us. So we want to make sure you're aware of the threats. But then look what they say. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now, how would we pray today? God, deliver us. Isn't that how we pray? Isn't that the scope of our prayer lives? When, when cancer or death or despair or discouragement or hard times come in our life, isn't the first thing off our lips that we've been taught to pray, God deliver us, God deliver us? I'm telling you, the early church did not pray that way. Instead of praying, God deliver us, they say, God walk with us through the difficulty. God help us to deal with the difficulty. Now, that's not as much fun, is it? I mean... I hope that tomorrow, in fact, Judy's brother has had a major heart attack. He's the healthiest of the whole Allen bunch. He's a runner. He's the skinniest besides Judy. I mean, and the man has a major heart attack in the hospital today with a balloon up inside of his leg trying to keep his heart beating until they can do surgery. It's much easier to say, okay, God, I want you to reach down from heaven and I want you to heal Carol because he's a godly man and he's a good man. 
But the early church would probably pray something like this. God, we're going to be honest and say, we don't know what you're doing. And if it's within your scope to heal Carol, we pray that. But God, we're going to trust you regardless. And God, your will is what matters, not mine. God, it's your deal, not my deal. That is trusting, that is believing in a sovereign God. That somehow, from his perspective, and from his, his, who he is, he is wiser than we are. So they said, God, God, grant your servants boldness that we may speak the word. Wait, 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 do you understand? That's what got him in trouble. Why are they, why are they praying, God, give us boldness to preach some more? Because preaching is what got them arrested. Because they trusted God. Somehow, they had figured out that God was smarter than them. Somehow they figured out that God was God and they weren't. So they simply prayed, God, give us boldness to preach your word. And then look, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Whoa, 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 Dwayne. That's what started this whole billy wag. If Peter and John had flipped the guy a coin and said, here you go, son, have a good day. None of this would have happened. It's because he was healed. That Peter preached, because Peter preached, 2,000 people were saved. Because 2,000 people were saved, the temple police and everybody showed up and arrested Peter and John. And that led to an opportunity to tell them that, that they had killed Jesus and that he was resurrected. And they didn't like that. That's what started it all. So the church is praying, not for deliverance, but more of what got them in trouble in the first place. You want to know why? Because they trusted God. They trust God. Do you understand in just a few chapters that a guy named Stephen, one of the first deacons, is going to be stoned to death? Do you understand if you go about five more chapters beyond that, that John's brother James is going to have his head lopped off in jail? And then they take Peter and try to kill him too? Wouldn't it have been easier to just sort of back up and go on the defense? No. Because that's not trusting God. And the early church trusted God. Now, listen to the old preacher. These are days when the church is going to have to trust God more. Students, you're going to have to trust God more. You're going to have to. Moms and dads, you're going to have to trust God in your parenting skills. Husbands, wives, you're going to have to trust God in investing in your marriage. Because these are demanding Dangerous days. And just like the church prayed for boldness and prayed for God's will to be done, that's how we need to pray today. And did you know something, by the way? You know, by the way, is there anything wrong with praying for healing? Now, I'm telling you, listen to me. One of these days, if y'all let me stick around long enough, I'm going to fall over and have a heart attack up here. And somebody's going to go, I knew it. It was going to happen. I knew the boy was getting too old to preach that way. I knew it. I want y'all to get on the prayer chain and say, Hey, this, God, God, this is, this is for Dwayne. Hey, God, this is for Dwayne. Hey, God, this is for Dwayne. I like prayer for healing. Nothing wrong with that. But do we understand why the healing comes? It's for God's glory. It's not for Aunt Susie or, or Brother Tom. It is for God's glory that healing comes. Everything we do is for the glory of God. God's in the business of glorifying His name, not us. 
So, so they pray for this boldness. They pray for more miracles to come. And God just keep an eye on the threats. And look what happens in verse number 31. And when they had prayed. Wouldn't this be credible? This happened on Wednesday night. And when they had prayed, the place where they are assembled together was shaken. That is not metaphorically speaking. It is a fact in the Greek. The building shook because of the power of God. When's the last time you were in a prayer meeting when the building shook with the power of God? Now, why do you think the building shook with the power of God? Do you think they knew all the right words to use, Brent? Almighty, heavenly Father, creator of the universe, on and on and on and on. No, Jesus said, it's not by your fire words. It's not by the length of your words. You know why the building shook? For the same reason. Remember the old Solomon guy? Remember him? Solomon, you know, God went to Solomon and said, um, okay, you're the king. Uh, you can have like anything you want. <laughs> and so like I would say, mm, 2014 Red Mustang GT black leather interior. He goes, well, God, here's the deal. I'm like a child. And I don't know how to do this very well. So would you give me wisdom so I can rule your people well? And you know what God said? Cool. Tell you what, and by the way, since you asked so wisely, I'm going to throw in the other stuff for fun. The building was shook because they prayed as God wanted them to pray. And I'm telling you, our nation needs revival. I'm telling you, our families need the touch of God. And that will come when we pray like the early church prayed. Saying, God, be glorified. If it means my suffering, God, be glorified. If it means my loss, God, be glorified. And God will shake America and God will shake our community and God will shake our house and God will shake our lives with his mighty, mighty power. And the place was shaken and the place where they're assembled together was shaken and they're all filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Wow. Now, y'all don't understand the Holy Spirit thing. First off, you didn't know he's part of the Trinity. You know, I, I've, they've always told me, first off, I get these comments. You preach like one of those Pentecostals. I'm married to Lottie and Annie. I'm more Southern Baptist than you are, probably. I get excited sometimes. But when I was in Africa, the brother, Pastor Goffrey said, you know what the people said? <laughs> they said, what? Said, you preach like an African. <laughs> I knew I had it in me, boys. <laughs> like an African. Now listen, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit when you got saved. There's one baptism. And if you've been saved, you got baptized. Come on, Baptist. Remember, he's part of the Trinity now. Come on, he's part of the Trinity. You got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And listen, listen, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a fresh surrender of you to God. These people, when they prayed, they were surrendered to God and said, God, whatever you want, I want. And man, when they emptied themselves, when they emptied the bucket of themselves, God filled it with the Holy Spirit. And when God fills it with the Holy Spirit, amazing things happen. Marriages get healed. Children walk right. People are saved. These people prayed and God shook the place. Then God filled them with His Holy Spirit. As they surrendered, God took control. And you know what happened, Brent? 
God answered their prayer. What was their prayer? To preach with boldness. And you know what the Bible says? And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Amen. Amen. Now. Okay, Joy. Why? Why is this so important? Why is a mess? Why is it important that we do our best to pray biblically, perhaps even as the early church did? It's not, I mean this too. It's not so our life can be better. I pray for a better life. Amen. But here's the reality. That people we walk past at Walmart every day are lost and going to a Christless hell. Within, within a hundred yard radius of your home, there are people who are lost going to a Christless hell. Some of the men and women you work with, students, some of the kids you go to school with, your friends, are lost and going to a Christless hell. And the only hope they have is Jesus. The only hope they have. It's not the Baptist church. It's not another kind of religion. It's not a giant scale. It's, it's Jesus. And here's the deal. You know, like I say, I know some people, you know, that just can talk to anybody about Christ. You know, I understand that. But the best shot at some of us winning people to Christ, and this shouldn't be the only way, you should use this, is to live a bold life for Christ. When students, when you know there's a party on Friday night, and that party there's going to be alcohol and stuff like that, and it's not a sermon about alcohol. But when you have the courage to say, no, I know that's displeasing to my God. That's boldness. And they'll go, ha, 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 holy roller, huh? Got religion, huh? No. No, I just know it'd be displeasing to God. And who do you think they're going to come talk to when their life falls apart? You. You. And so you're at work, sir. And you're 60 like me. And take a look in the mirror. And the better days might have gone by. There's more wrinkles and smoothness. There's more hair in your nose than on your head. And some sweet thing comes by and says, Hey, hey, good looking. Watch a guy. And you kind of go, hmm. No one's there but you and her. And when she says, hey, hey, good looking, say, this boy belongs to Mama. And God says, I'm going to be pure to mama. And because God said I'm going to be pure to mama, because mama will kill me if I don't. <laughs> uh-uh. The boy over here is watching you say, uh-uh. And when he finds needs some help, who do you think he's going to come to? The one who said, uh-uh. You know what I'm saying? The best hope the world has of a witness from us is a bold, Christ-filled, Holy Spirit life. And like them or not, they're going to split hell wide open. And Rachel, you're right. America's so lost. Did you know what she said? 18 million people in Los Angeles and 10% maybe are evangelical Christians. People need Jesus. 
So I want to encourage us today. Say, what's the bottom line, Dwayne? The bottom line is this. Let's pray to change the world. Yes? Can I keep Aunt Susie on the prayer list because she knows she has cancer? Absolutely. But I'm just making a suggestion. Could you add Joe down the street who's lost to your prayer list and pray that God might save his soul? Yes? Um, I really want to be the captain of the football team. Would that be okay to ask God if it's his will? Yeah, sure, go ahead pray that. That's cool. But could you add Joe to your prayer list because he's lost and he needs Jesus? Those are prayers to change the world. And Mama T, I think you said it. You know, there are missionaries. Matter of fact, I'm looking at 300 and something missionaries this morning. I thank God for every one of you. But as we finish this series, Lights, Camera, and Acts, let's look back at the church and let's pray like they prayed. God, beware of the threats. God, fill us with boldness. And God, keep doing miracles in our lives. Oh, I I forgot that, didn't I? Does God still do miracles? But if you know the person, Bill, you know Roz. Would you turn and look at her? Oh, man, they got it going on. (laughs) Bill, you just looked at a miracle. Look at Mary, would you look at, at Dan? You're looking at a miracle. It's cool when God does miracles of healing. But you're sitting next to miracles. Be the miracle of God's grace. And let the miracle of your life lead others to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I sure thank you for the opportunity. And I I pray my fuzzy head today that you're able to use this vessel to speak truth. Father, we so desperately need you today in the church. Father, our nation is filled with lostness. This world is filled with lostness. Let us go back, Father, to where we were at one time. Father, when, yes, we prayed for one another, but we prayed for the lostness of the world. Father, may we pray prayers that will change this world. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, first to, to my brothers and sisters, I think you heard the bottom line. Would you be willing today to accept the challenge that when you pray tomorrow, That you would ask God to show you kingdom, spiritual things to pray for. It might be revival. It could be your neighbor who's lost. It may be for marriage you know that's failing. But ask God to do something there. Let us pray like the early church prayed with boldness. For my friend here today, and today you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I know that's spiritual terms. But like I told the Africans, the Bible says every person has sinned. The Bible says that Jesus Christ lived and died for our sins. And he was buried on the third day, resurrected. And God says this. If we will turn from our path, from our sin, and choose to follow Christ, he will forgive our sins by his amazing grace. If you're here today and you've never done that, if you've never chosen Jesus, I want to give you that chance today. My friend Brent will be standing down front. 38 years ago, it's for me. 
that I trusted Christ. 38 years. One of the last people I led to the Lord in Africa was a 71-year-old Muslim man. He had the garb on. In my heart, I was saying, he's not going to change. He doesn't want to hear this message. And the interpreter said, today, will you turn from your way and will you choose to follow Jesus? And through the translator, he said, I will. I will. My brothers and sisters, my friends today, I pray you will. You know in the reality of your heart that there's a hell out there and there's a heaven out there. And Jesus is the way to heaven. And our prayer is that you'll do that. Perhaps you're here today and you've trusted Christ, but you've never been obedient in baptism. And baptism will not get you to heaven. It plays no role in your salvation. But it's a beautiful sign of love for Jesus and for obedience. Some of you here today, you've toyed with the idea of God leading you to join our church, to be a part of this team officially, if you will. We're going to be standing down front and love to receive you for that. And then lastly, as I say, judgment sometimes, sometimes we just need to pray. And these steps are our altar. If you'd like to come today, some of our deacons will be waiting down front. Some other friends are here. And we want to pray with you with what you're walking through right now. And it may be an illness. It may be a tragedy. It may be a difficult situation. But it be our honor to pray, God, be with my brother, our sister, our friend, and walk with him, having your way, because we trust you, realizing and acknowledging your sovereignty. So God, thank you so much, so much for loving us as you do. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.